Alright, Minority Report, the video game. Starring, we couldn't get Tom Cruise's likeness. It's, uh, it's based on the book. Minority Report, the game is based on the book? <laughs> By Philip K. Dickerson? Fun fact, Clancy Brown voices John Anderton in the, in the game. No shit. Yeah, how about that? He's a uh, prolific voice actor. He, he likes to work. He enjoys, uh, well, uh, I don't. He enjoys God, getting I really paid. Don't. Well, he does something he but likes. I like, yeah, I like getting paid. That's about it. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Jason. I am Ben Young. I'm Bill Jarvis. Andrew is back. Oh, again! Man, we just keep getting lucky here. It's two weeks in a wow. row, so at least. Tonight, we are talking about 2002's uh, American neo-noir science fiction film, Minority Report. Minority Report was... Uh, written by Scott Frank, John Cohen, directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, and the, the music, as we'll probably talk about, was by John Williams. Um, the budget was $102 million, which I'm going to be honest, for a movie in 2002, a sci-fi movie, that's a lot of money. So, wow. Um, the box office, though, was 358 0.4 million dollars so i will consider that just about a box office success it tripled over more than tripled its budget so well done mm -hmm, thank mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. sci-fi fans hey do we want to uh mention that this is adapted from a novel by philip k dick mm -hmm. we can and if you want to go further uh this movie was actually supposed to be a sequel to um uh, total recall total recall thank you ben wow yeah starring it was actually they rewrote it so like the character wasn't john anderton but it was arnold schwarzenegger's character from total recall mm -hmm. and like it was going to be set on mars and the precogs were going to be mutate mutates mutants and shit and yeah it sounds awful yeah it sounds god awful <laughs> i didn't read it no it sounds awful and that's probably like things like that is probably why um fuck what is it called uh Takeshi Kovacs. What's the show Altered called? Carbon. Altered Carbon. That's probably what Altered Carbon sucks. It's because someone just like did stop and go, wait, 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 wait. You can't just do all this shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, you didn't earn it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, fuck that show. Yeah. We're not fans <laughs> anymore, unfortunately. Okay, so uh, before we get too deep into all of this uh, Neil McDonough love fest, Ben, what is this movie about? In a future Washington, D.C., 
where murders are stopped before they happen thanks to three children with precognitive abilities. Chief John Anderton of Precrime is forced on the run when the Precogs predict a murder he will commit. In order to prove his innocence, John seeks out a minority report, a contradiction, contradicting prediction of events. But along the way, he uncovers a conspiracy that goes all the way to the top. It's Minority Report! It's Minority Report! <laughs> goes all the way. Um, goes all the way to the top, boys. Follow the money. Time out, gang. I fucked up, and I forgot to tell you all the cast. Would you guys like to know the cast? Not really. I'd love to know the cast. Okay. It's a star-studded one. It is a star-studded one. So we got Tom Cruise, Max von Sydow. Yeah, side out. Side out. Side out. However you want to say. It. Max, I'm sorry. Rest in peace. Uh, we also got Colin Farrell, Samantha Morton, who plays Agatha, um, Neil McDonough, Steve Harris, and uh, interesting fact: the other two um, precogs were actually twins. They were actors. They were actual brothers. So kind of interesting. Twin actors? Yeah, they, they're twins in the movie, but they're twins in real life. Hooray! Real life actor brothers. Who would have thought? It's happened before, I, I hear. John and Joe Jimmy. John and Joe Jimmy, you got it. I know it's Michael and Matthew Dickman. That, rem <laughs> that reminds me of... Uh... <laughs> Everyone smiled when I said Dickman. <laughs> that reminds me... My name was at least less embarrassing. <laughs> that reminds me of how they didn't use real twins in the social network. Oh, but didn't story. they do it in Harry Potter? Uh, yes. Maybe. So redheads? I think it was just the same kid. There's no such thing as yeah. identical twins. They're a myth that Hollywood created. Yeah. Okay. That's true. <laughs> just look at the Property Brothers. That's just one man. <laughs> We're going to file that under the new podcast, angle. Ben Takes. So, so where, how long does it uh, take to film the episode? Because like, a lot of times one has a beard and the other doesn't. So does oh, it, like, it takes months. Months to months. film one episode where he grows his one beard out and then shaves but it it's... and then films. Okay. Well, no, they just film They film all the parts with the shaven, the clean shaven property brother. And then they come back after he's grown it out. Wouldn't it just be easier to come onto set when he has the beard and then shave it and then film everything? No. I'm not a director, okay? <laughs> I, I edit, okay? Um, I can tell you what's easier for me. The, uh, Fair enough. Yeah, no, you're right. For you they, to sit down, get off the table. They, okay, sorry. They Bad, Lord the of the Rings get that the stuff. Table. They just, like, film everything at once. But anyway. Yeah. Filming everything in chronological order we is the best way to digress. do everything. Okay, so. Minority Report. As we mentioned before. This project started way back in the early 90s, okay? Um, okay. Well, in 1990, uh, Total Recall came out starting Arnold. Uh, and then 1992, this movie was literally optioned as a sequel. And I don't know where, you know, it falls in that production hell. Because, uh, you know, people are like busy. Uh Spielberg is doing Spielberg things, but this shit doesn't get made until the late 90s going into like 2000. So, um, well, there you have it. Movie comes out. Gentlemen, is this not the best Steven Spielberg thing to ever exist? It's not, but that's fine. Um, 
I haven't seen all of Steven Spielberg's stuff. He did um he did uh, AI, right? With Haley Joel Osment. He did. Many would argue that. that was his last good film. Did he do K Pax? <laughs> did he do I Am Robot? <laughs> he didn't do I Am Robot. I am robot. <laughs> he did uh Are we just naming kind of movies? <laughs> did he do Black Swan? That was did a good reference. I didn't think we were gonna go there tonight. <laughs> did he do Bicentennial the, Man? K Pax reference. Hey, um, he uh, <laughs> didn't we do that for one episode where we just literally named a director's movies? <laughs> that was the whole episode. That was it. No, but it was like the first five minutes. <laughs> we probably have. <sighs> okay, K packs. We gotta he do. We should do K packs soon. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not say we did. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, K Spacey is uh, canceled still. I hear. Oh man. Um, so yeah, this movie. Okay. The entire thought about being able to stop a crime before it happens. I got yeah. Nothing. It's I got a slippery nothing. slope, you know? <laughs> I got nothing. Um, <laughs> I didn't know if you had a I didn't know if you had a point. No, was really that a prompt? Know. Was that a prompt yeah, that was, you tried I didn't know to if do? No, I yes, yes, it is a prompt. I'm sorry. That's a it's it's I god, you I mean it's so hard. I, I was I was thinking about this when uh the movie first started because I've seen this movie I think exactly once in my life. Um, the time you watched this for the cast? Uh one uh one other time before the cast. Ah. Um, so it had been several, several years. I had actually forgot or, or not even remember that this was a apparently two and a half hour movie. Yeah. I decided to watch last night at uh, 9.30 p.m. So that was uh, uh, a heck of a thing. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, and, and obviously the movie deals with it. But how how can you quantify intent? And I mean, yeah, the beginning shows. Sure. He was about to kill his wife and her uh, lover. But. You couldn't, I, I feel like you can't accurately predict something like 32 hours out, you know? Well, it's, I, I and they do. get into it. They talk about, well, sorry, Ben. They talk about, um, you know, most most of these murders are like crimes of passion. So, you know, no. he even says, you know, who would be stupid enough to have a pre, premeditated murder in this day and age within 200, you know, 200 miles of uh, the precogs. Which, I uh, I did just want to say that regarding the runtime, I also was shocked. It's been a while since I've watched this movie as well. Um, I had a weird Mandela effect moment where I thought we covered this because I had definitely seen it within the last five years. And I was like, why would I have watched this again? I've seen it. There's really no need to see it a second time in my life. So why did I watch it again? And I like scoured. I was like, did we never publish the episode or something? I like dug through files. No, nothing. We never covered it, apparently. Uh, so I was really pissed when I saw the two-and-a-half-hour runtime because I have shit to do. And <laughs> I will say that the one thing I thought was that when I first saw that, I was like, oh, wow, there's – it never felt like a two-and-a-half-hour movie before. I can't believe it's two-and-a-half hours. And I still watch it, and it still feels that way. So, like, it's not like it's an it, – it, it's not like it feels long. Like, it, it moves quickly, and it is very well-paced. I have something to say. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm gonna say you look like you have something to say. <laughs> yeah. Jason, do you, do you have so, something to say? So th this movie was my pick um, for my, my birthday. And the uh, reason I wanted to cover it 
was because this was actually one of those movies I can point to like maybe three or four in my life where I didn't like for whatever reason like didn't believe or subscribe to the hype when the movie came out so like Minority Report came out in 02 and I don't think I watched it for the first time until maybe four years ago five years ago I always heard it was a good movie it was well reviewed you know made a lot of money whatever but I heard it was a good science fiction movie but I think I had like this weird maybe like supposition that it was some type of movie it wasn't like I was thinking it was like latter era kind of like bullshit Spielberg and then it wasn't like still like the visionary Spielberg so I was really surprised when I watched it that it's actually a very thoughtful film I think um you know it still has a lot of those um I think kind of like hallmarks of Spielberg and kind of like that big budget popcorn cinema of the 80s and 90s that I think is largely kind of gone today uh, for better or worse, but I was just really surprised. So part of the reason I kind of wanted to uh, rewatch it, revisit it now in 2021 was to just kind of see what everyone's thoughts were on it, but also because I really wanted to plan a rewatch, which I started last night at 1 a.m. And I got through like three quarters of it because I also forgot that it was two and a half hours long. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to finish this tonight. But um, but no, same thing like Ben said, like very kind of a I wouldn't say a breezy watch, but it, it certainly didn't feel like a two and a half hour long movie either. Um, but I don't know, still for me, maintain that sense that, uh, you know, it's like Spielberg. I feel like in the, the mid to late 90s and early 2000s really hit that stride of just like bulletproof films you know i mean starting with obviously his big historical epics and the the schindler's lists of the world and the saving private ryan's but then to kind of transition into some of the headier high concept sci-fi stuff like minority report and arguably ai like you know um i feel like a switch flipped somewhere there in the you know early to mid 2000s with spielberg um, where he kind of went on a bit of autopilot mode, I would say. But this was kind of like one of the last big uh, hurrahs, I think, uh, for him in terms of really still being at the height of his powers and really uh, being able to explore a theme, but do it in a way where you're going to put butts in seats, which is interesting coming off the cast we did last week talking about Blade Runner because I feel like it's I'm still kind of teasing out the significance there, but I think there is a significance Um you know, coming off of that, but yeah, I was glad to revisit it. Kind of curious to see what you guys all think about it. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think here's that, the, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Good. No, you bill, you said it first. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, I think one of the obvious themes in it is determinism. Uh, that, mm-hmm. I mean, I think everybody mm-hmm. can know that. I mean, there was like, you know, the ball rolling off the table and just being like, why did you catch it? Because it was going to fall, but it didn't fall. And you know, like that sort of thing. And, um, it's very weird that that is like still something explored in a lot of ways because it's like it's kind of like to me really obvious that it's like like there's a lot of chaos in the world and there's a lot of randomness and a lot of things happen but in our you know in what we are we're kind of machines we're kind of you know we have you know, we have, there are processes to how we function. And so it's like to, you know, all, however complex and however difficult it would be to figure out, it's still a process and it's still, there are still things then that, you know, we understand about the human mind and 
to make decisions and stuff. And there are things in our environment that affect that. And although it may seem random and that there are things that, you know, we still cannot control, unlike, say, like a, I'd bring it down to like a quantum level, you know, there's things, still things that pop into existence, pop out. But to be, to say that there is, there is free will or there is no free will, it's kind of, um, I don't know. It seems kind of redundant, like a, a like a weird thing that we love to explore, like with Deus or sorry devs, and like uh, I literally I literally call it that in my head. I'm sorry. It's um, fine. Uh, like devs and stuff like that, and like you know exploring determinism as a theme, but also realizing that there are explanations at the same time that there are mysteries. I, I don't know how to describe it, but it feels like a an interesting theme, but at the end of the day, I kind of like have my foot stepping pretty much on one side of the one side of the fence. Well, this movie came out in two thousand two, yeah. So it's not mm-hmm. like they're like just now visiting this topic. No, I know, I know it was twenty I... years ago, but it, it's it's you know for us for my modern lens, that's how I sure do it. sure. Uh, I th- I've always I felt like this movie comes pretty firmly on your side, mm-hmm. Bill. I feel like it, it's very against determinism and is like, yeah, no, this idea is fucked up. Like, you know, the, even though, like, even though, yeah, he does end up killing Leo Crow. Like, it doesn't happen the way the precogs saw it, which I think is enough of of a shot to like uh, shatter determinism. You know, like, like, unless you want to argue that the bigger picture is all that matters, in which case, I don't know. Well, I, I think that's all so, silly. I mean, I can respond to that um, Please just do. real quick. Um, so that I, I would say that one of the things that kind of shot itself in the foot in that point is that they had too much information. They knew that something was going to happen so they could purposely make it not happen which is kind of the paradox, but at the same time, they make the paradox work because the precogs are human fallible things. You know, they could see things incorrectly or they could predict one thing and then there's, you know, different causal factors that make it not happen, such as the knowledge that it's going to happen, which is kind of a paradox, but yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. That's a great point. Uh, very good point. Um, I was kind of going to use that to segue here because um, I wanted to point out a character that I didn't really realize uh, when I used to watch this when I was younger. But now that I've watched it, you know, as a 30 year old, Colin Farrell's character was a lot more interesting than I thought he was because um, you're just the way that they paint him. He is the antagonist for like the first half of the movie. Or maybe a little bit longer than that. But the entire time, and I didn't realize, I didn't pick up on the dialogue, but he's not against the program. He's not against what they're doing. He just wants control of it. No, he's the... Go ahead. Well, I'll just say, like, he's representing the Justice Department, but he wants to replace Tom Cruise. That's what he wants to do. And in a certain way, he's all about this program because for him... And I never, I, I didn't pick up on that, that he was in the seminary and stuff. Uh, he's super religious. And for him, this like, uh, like confirms the divine for him. 
this is evidence of God for him. And I, I, I somehow I missed that the like the last 500 times I've watched this fucking movie. But for some reason I really picked up on it this time. I was like, wow. Okay. So he's not, he's the bad guy for like that part of the film, but he's not trying to kill the program. He's not trying to like change the world. He's just trying to get Tom Cruise out of the way so he can do it himself. I wouldn't even say he's a bad guy. He is an antagonist, but he's not a bad guy. Right, right. But he is he's, the antagonist in the beginning part. He's of the, the he's the white hat in the noir story. You yeah. know, like he's he's the the lawful good guy who does not fit within the the world that they have built, but is trying to force his way in and his own perspectives and beliefs onto the people around him in this world. And, uh, you know, that's what I that's the best thing about this movie, in my opinion, is as someone who who loves noir stories, this kind of covers it checks all the boxes on it. And, uh, you know, you get you get all of those those tropes, but in fun and interesting ways as well. Um, you know, the, the movie is definitely like even like as an adult now, it's tough to like say objectively that I would have I would have seen this coming because. As when I, when I when I first saw it, I was a kid, so I was I, I had my mind blown. But as an adult, I'm like I would have probably seen this coming. This is this is probably a fairly predictable movie, uh, and, and that's kind of the trappings and the failings of the noir genre and why we don't see it as much anymore. But uh, it's if you like that kind of thing, this movie definitely checks all the boxes, and that's Colin Farrell's role for sure. Yeah. Um, and speaking before we get off the topic of Colin Farrell, I just want to point out that, and I did notice it before, but when Tom Cruise encounters him in the elevator and he draws the gun on him, and Colin Farrell goes, you know, this was a red ball. Yeah, I don't hear a red ball. And then the alarm starts going, and watching his face change to, <laughs> oh my fucking God, I think I'm about to die. I was like, I never noticed how good that was. He actually transitions mm-hmm. that very well to, oh fuck. <laughs> So it was kind of kind of funny seeing uh, Colin Farrell as a young buck again too. Yeah, after mm-hmm. seeing him in Voyagers, he's like <laughs> that grizzled gray old man now. And then like seeing him and thinking, wow, that was twenty years ago, you know? Yeah, but I, I think I've kind of reaffirmed that I actually like Colin Farrell as an actor. Like seeing him as the old Colin Farrell and then coming back to this in like two thousand two at like his prime. Like this is when he really started to take off. Yeah, I mean, he's still a good actor in my mind. So. I've I mean, always liked I like him. him. I like know. him too. I just he makes yeah, more actor. decisions as far as his roles go now. Well, let's be honest. Actors don't he make as many decisions as we think they do. They're like pop singers. No, there's a they lot do. Of, there's they, a lot of people around them that make a lot of decisions. I mean, yes, an agent will bring them offers and roles, but yeah, an actor chooses what roles they want to do. They don't just get thrown into a job. It's not the the 1930s anymore. True, but early on. They have a say in the movies they do. Early on, if an agent goes, this is going to be great for your career, most actors go, yeah, let's do it. Certainly, but I don't think any agent told him that Voyagers was going to be great for his career. Okay, so Voyagers was a fucking paycheck for him, and don't you ever doubt it. Sure, sure. I'm just, that's what I'm saying. Look though. at the I'm amount of that... look at look at the amount of bullshit that uh, great actors like Samuel Jackson or uh, like Morgan Freeman. These are great actors, but they'll take any fucking C movie that comes across their plate because they don't fucking care. It's a paycheck. Right. I get that. I'm just saying that he hasn't made decisions that I would have liked to see from him in the past ten years. 
you know, he could have been, he could have been he a could have really been A-list actor. He could have, he been, could have a been a contender. contender. Yeah. He could have been Gandalf. <laughs> he could have. Yeah. Sean Connery could have. That's really fucked up. And I will never. He turned it down. I will never forgive Peter Jackson. Frodo, you goddamn bastard. <laughs> you got to throw the ring in the fucking volcano. I'm out there. I spread oh, some poopery in the toilet. Smells like shitrish. <laughs> oh, I forgot that Colin Farrell's going to be the penguin in Batman. That's cool. That's unfortunate. What do you mean God damn it, Batman. You foiled me again. <laughs> You said Sean Connery is going to be the penguin, nope, right? Nope, sure didn't. No. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if you know this, um, and I'm really sorry to do this to you, Andrew, but Sean Connery actually passed away. I know. Oh. On Halloween. Oh. That would have made man. the movie all the more He's now a dead creepy boy. and sinister. A dead boy. All right. My apologies for pulling this so far left field to Colin Farrell, but... Nothing wrong with a good Colin Farrell discussion yeah. after four episodes. Yeah. yeah. I'm looking at my notes he here. Actually, <laughs> he's actually been in quite a few good things. I've just missed them. So I'd like to retract my statement. He has probably been making good decisions. I just haven't been paying attention. Colin I'm is, looking through his IMDb now. Is Alexander sci-fi? Can we spin that somehow? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to do Jared Leto and Colin Farrell having some sort of uh, homosexual, homoerotic relationship... Uh, I'm down. We can yeah, do I'm it. I'm down. I'm down. You do phone booth. Oh, yeah. When I both a phone booth. I forgot about that. <laughs> God, I forgot about that movie. Yeah. That, ben, that is your poor decision right there. <laughs> I'm Good. sorry. Point, phone booth? Yeah. The Oscar snub of the year? Oh, <laughs> Point made. Uh, also, while I'm talking about actors, sorry to stick on it for a second, but uh, Tom Cruise nailed this role start to finish. And it's always weird for yeah. me because... Tom Cruise does that a lot. He nails every role he's in. Like, However, literally. at the end of the day, you're just like, oh, he's a fucking Scientologist. Yeah. No, so he's like, it leaves you like it just brings it back down. You're like in this middle holding pattern I mean, <laughs> where he's a great actor. But also fucking. Yeah, dude, he had exercised his thetans like hardcore <laughs> when he was doing this one. You could tell he was clear. Yeah, he had uh, he had uh, done the audit. And he was firing on all cylinders for this. Well, it's kind of weird, like, seeing Tom Cruise in O2. Because I know, like, he, he was, you know, relatively active throughout that entire, like, period of the last 20 years. Like, he's always making movies. But it's weird because, like, I watch, like, Mission Impossible 7 or whatever, whatever the current one is. And then you're like, oh, Tom Cruise, it's good to see him. He's like, you know, he's still doing movies and stuff like that. But then it's like, really... In 2002, he was already, what, 20 years into his career, right? At that point. Yeah. I don't know. It's just interesting because, yeah. like, he totally nailed the whole, you know, I, I mean, and continues to nail the whole action star thing, you know, with especially a lot of the, which may or may not be something we talk about, but, like, a lot of the cool action scenes and kind of chase scenes, fight scenes, you know, that type of thing. Like, it was crazy, you know. I, I don't know how old Tom Cruise was when this was filmed, but... You know, you think like uh, coming off of like the mid '90s stuff he was doing. Like, uh, I think he, he 40. did forty when he did this. Right on. So yeah, I mean, same thing. Like he was already twenty years into his career well, when this happened. Out. Tom Cruise was fucking forty years old when this movie was made. Tom Cruise is going to be sixty next year, ladies yeah. and gents. Holy shit! Yep, that guy oh. ages so well. I mean, plastic yep. surgery goes a long way, but holy shit! No, I think he's au naturel. 
No. <laughs> no, he's, he's, an not. Boy. No, Bill, he's not. I need to believe it. I need to believe it. Isn't a, he's isn't got a middle got tooth. A, isn't it against Elrond's law to yeah. get plastic and grass? So, well, it's because they don't need plastic surgery. They just need to absorb the souls of the children they have. Mm-hmm. Thetans, right? So, yeah, something yeah, about blah, blah, the children's blah, 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 themes. Themes. Um Okay, so... Elrond was an ugly boy. He definitely didn't do any plastic surgery. I did. Okay. I did want to say that. I mean, okay. One more thing about Tom Cruise. Okay, Colin, I'll shut no, up. No, no, it's fine. No, you look so disappointed. I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> I uh, no, I was looking for a segue, but yeah, do yeah, no, no, I got you, I got you. Um, so uh, uh, sorry. So Tom Cruise's intensity is like is so good. Like he's not a chill dude. And he owns every single room that he walks into. So there's this very domineering person, and it's hard to like not be like, there's, there's something wrong with that guy. But like in any role that he does, I mean he's not a I don't I don't think he's a method actor, but he definitely brings it every single time. Like there's just this intensity. I don't know if this guy has like an extra kidney or something like that, but like the energy level that he brings is so intense in every single yeah role that he does i don't know enough about oh. the human anatomy to know if an extra kidney is what actually brings you energy yes but it does yeah his, actually yeah, bill what you're thesis. thinking is he had an extra kid man yes his his vitamin k is off the he charts kid man. he True. literally just does a lot of fucking cocaine and that literally just carries him through no uh it's hollywood baby come on um no but i wanted to talk because you guys talked about uh how he does his stunts and the intensity, as you say, Bill, let's talk about that action sequence when he's actually being chased by his team with the fucking jetpacks. Yeah. Yes, let's. Let's talk about if this movie has a flaw, it is absolutely that. Because I don't know if it, that was particularly that bad, but I think coupled with the John Williams episode two score that he was doing the entire time, because John Williams has like his his known things that he rides upon but this was hev this was the exact same time that he was scoring episode two there was little difference in the action sequences like you could tell there was even the fucking part where he's in the the That's auto manufacturer and he's like tom cruise is like doing the dance trying to dodge the stuff literally that is uh the play-by-play -play from episode two when anakin's like in the droid factory the same fucking score but i think those two combined the the silly string work with the jetpacks combined with the score i was like okay i'm just gonna look at my phone during this part because i used to love this when i was younger but now i'm just like this is ridiculous caroline was like i love how it's like burning everything but not their legs that's <laughs> like their legs I'm... are flying behind them. yeah you know it's um it, it i think coupled with the fact that the uh the tertiary cast i feel really phoned it in okay don't insult neil but... mcdonough at any point well, I'm just saying, you know, the primary cast, I, I will fight you know, you. kills it. No. You know, uh, Tom Cruise, Colin Farrell, uh, Max von Sydow. Neil McDonough. Uh, yeah. The, the secondary <laughs> cast does pretty well, but the, the tertiary cast, like, there's that one dude, and he is just not, he just doesn't give a shit. Then maybe it's Neil McDonough. I don't know what uh, what Neil McDonough looks like. It has nothing to do with the actors. It's all about that shitty fucking director no. they attached to this movie. Period. I'm gonna say Tim Blake Nelson brought it. Yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, Colin Neil McDonough was fine. It's um, I don't know what the, that character's name is. Hold on. 
This is <laughs> the guy who's just like, this is a personal vendetta. Let me go get him. And then they all go together to go get him. <laughs> I'm really glad you brought up that scene, Colin, because it is. I hate that scene so fucking much that like I was like, this is a good movie. Don't get me wrong. This is a good movie. It does its job well and it's enjoyable to watch. But damn, this movie could have been great if it wasn't for that scene, like the 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 jetpack burning the burgers, and like the what did they call the, 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 the sticks? It was the the puke. six sticks. Oh, six, yeah, six, the sticks. six sticks. And they're like, why are they call six sticks? Just pukes oh. everywhere. I'm just like, okay. The, <laughs> the 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 they hit the floor and the table bounces and the family's like, oh, and John Williams is like, da da da. And they all look God, for a that moment. Woman just screeching. Get out of my house. First of all, John Williams one hundred percent phoned in this entire soundtrack. I'm pretty sure he just I, used the B roll from episode two for this movie. Right. I to the point where I was like, is this Danny Elfman? Like that's how bad this was through this whole movie. You know, and it really comes down I, no, I, I it was I'm very really, John Williams. Let me just stop you before you go into that. I'm really hammering into this point because it really comes down to a problem of tone. This is and this is a problem of Steven Spielberg in general as he got older because Steven Spielberg wanted to do more interesting and mature films, but he couldn't escape the family friendly genre that he was trapped within. And so you get a movie like Minority Report, which could have been on the level of like Blade Runner 2049 and like it's in its dark themes and its atmosphere and all of that stuff. And you get this weird mesh of like a, a dystopian sci-fi dark atmosphere combined with family friendly drama, which is perfectly accentuated in the scene with the spider bots. When we randomly see a couple having sex mm -hmm. and it's like, Wait, are, is this a family-friendly show or not? I'm not sure what you want this, this to be. This movie was never supposed to be family-friendly. Well, that's what I'm saying, but it, that's not the point. Of course it was never supposed uh, yeah, to be family. Child died. Of course it wasn't supposed to be family-friendly, but the tone with, with the soundtrack and with Steven Spielberg's direction, it completely sends mixed messages in regards to what they want this movie to be. If they wanted it to be a gritty, sci-fi, dark dystopia, then they should have done that. You should have, as much as I hate to say it, they should have ditched John Williams and and thrown someone else in there because he not because he's bad, but because he wasn't the right fit for the role. I, I just, he wasn't in the right mindset. I think John Williams was stretched at this point. He wasn't prepared sure. to take on this movie plus the Star Wars fucking movies that he was doing music for at the time. And this also just isn't his style. This kind of movie isn't who John Williams is. John Williams is like, you know, big, hopeful, exciting films. Like, that's who he is. Well, uh, And this is not him. Yeah, that that's actually what the point I was going to make, too. Um, I mean, that's kind of the thing. So John Williams isn't like a chameleonic composer, necessarily. He has his style, and his style is very rooted in kind of being thematic. You know, so like... I, I forgot too during that scene it's kind of kind of goofy you know and and like generally that's the thing though I think if you can separate 
the soundtrack. You can kind of pull back from the visuals and what you've seen in the movie up to that point, and you can just listen to the soundtrack. The music is is actually good. It, it's good. It's good music. You know, it's it's well composed, and you know, it it has those kind of themes that he's known for. But it absolutely doesn't really fit the vibe at all. So it's just kind of goofy. Ultimately, you're left with this. You know, like I said, he's got. You know, you, you get those like weird, like, uh, you know, themes that he's kind of known for. But in this film, that doesn't really serve as a vehicle for that, you know, because it, it is, like you said, kind of that hopeful, like, you know, summer popcorn action movie, big, brash, brass kind of, you know, that that's that's what I usually like in to like John Williams and the film didn't really fit that vibe up till that point. So while that scene, I think visually was, was impressive at the time. Um, it was just kind of goofy. Yeah. It really didn't fit the, so, the, the vibe of it. As, it just... as the kids would say, John Williams did not understand the assignment. So, but do look at, <laughs> look at it from a certain uh, perspective. I should say that um, that entire sequence was what was in the trailer. I'm assuming to fucking sell this so that they can make the amount of money that they did because the movie in its own right i mean i love it but just based on other sci-fi movies this movie shouldn't have made that much money in the box office it really shouldn't but i think because of that action sequence that they probably pitched and the music that is what sold people so maybe that's why they put that entire sequence in the movie was to sell that this is an action-packed gunfighting jetpack fucking things getting lit on fire movie and the rest was literally just this noir sci-fi story well so that was kind of my point um at the onset when we kind of after we did the synopsis and everything we're talking about it that was the reason i avoided this movie for so long i think subconsciously was because i you know i had seen the trailers and seen all the kind of content promoting it at the time and it just seemed like kind of like i don't know like another and I don't mean this in a, a you know, uh, as bad a way as it's probably going to sound, but like another dumb Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg kind of action vehicle thing. And I just didn't really care. I figured, oh, I'll see it at some point. But it, this isn't something I really need to, like, run out to the theater and see or I need to rent it, you know, right away when it came out. So it took me 15 years to see the movie. But when I finally did watch it and it was probably because I was sitting there on, you know, Amazon or whatever. And, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. I got nothing really else to do. Actually, no, I bought the DVD at Disc Replay for like a dollar just randomly because I'm like, oh, you know what? I've never seen this. I'm going to, you know, I'll watch it tonight. Whatever. Fine. That's on a whim. And then ended up wow, this is actually a really good movie, but you'd never know it because none of the marketing materials really kind of sold it as this thoughtful exploration of, you know, determinism or whatever that it ultimately kind of was or kind of that the noir theme that I think it leaned into fairly heavily because if you looked at the trailer, you know, it's the shoot 'em up kind of wham-bam, you know, by Alexis, I'm Tom Cruise movie, you know? I mean, I, I don't know, but it's not really that. Well, I, I just wanted to say I, I loved that philosophy class, uh, P one twenty one, determinism or whatever. That was a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the most it's philosophical a... thing I've ever fucking heard. Uh, whatever, it's all bullshit. Whatever, <laughs> determinism or whatever it is. <laughs> yep, I took that one. It was good. It was a good no. class. Um, it was a good one. <laughs> well, and I mean, you got to remember, you know, this is a, probably at the height of you know Tom Cruise, like Tom Cruise action movie is a genre. You know, just as much as Jackie Chan movie is a genre, just as much as, you know, Star Wars is a genre. 
you know, the, his his most popular movies before this were Mission Impossible, uh, Mission Impossible Two. Um, he, I mean, he's been doing those Jack Reacher movies lately, so that's you know a little bit past this point. But yeah, I mean, Jerry Tom Cruise action. Uh, that's not. I wouldn't call that Tom Cruise action. Was it, wasn't Rain Man? Well, I mean, it was still Tom Cruise. He doesn't genre. fight anybody. Rain Man Two. <laughs> Rain, Rain Man yeah. Two. Yeah. I, I didn't Electric hear you Boogaloo. say action. My bad. I thought. Oh yeah, you were Tom just Cruise. Tom yeah, sorry. Cruise in general. Tom Cruise movie. I mean, Tom Cruise movie. Yeah, kind of is its own thing. I mean, he's a gigantic actor. Um, Tom Cruise action is a very specific genre. Sure, sure. Um, so they. I mean, yeah, it is. It's a pseudo philosophical deterministic noir movie wrapped up in Tom Cruise action. We need to <laughs> you know? we need to watch uh, Edge of Tomorrow. We need to do that. Oh yeah. Yeah, because that's actually uh, yeah. that's actually based off of a manga. So I think people actually enjoy. say that that's one of his better movies. All you need, it's I a great movie. Seen. Kill. All you need it's is great. kill. But 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 that's the other that's thing. I, it's kind of funny too. I mean it has nothing to do with Spielberg, but like at the end of the day that was another film that was kind of advertised in a certain way. And then when you go and you watch the two hour film in a, a movie theater, it's a completely different movie than what you're expecting. And it's the better for it, yep. but you wouldn't yep. know it. You know, I mean, I'm glad I actually went and saw that one with my sister on opening night. Uh, whenever that came out, it was probably 2013 or it was a while ago now, I'd imagine, but Hopefully we do cover it at some point. Cause it's a really interesting concept. Um, but also another role that tom cruise absolutely crushes he's great i think in the in the film it's great this is, well, this he is harnessed a lot of themes for that but it's all, this all comes back to the same this all comes back to the same conversation of um we want to put out this great sci-fi but unless you can sell it to the masses uh it's not going to become the norm I mean, that's, that's that's the that's the problem. You have to sell that, it to the masses. Minority Report successfully sold this movie to the masses, but some movies can't do that. Twenty forty nine didn't do that. That's that's the that's the problem with. Uh, I mean, maybe the problem, maybe the solution with um, with sci fi in general is that like, you know, you get you know, in order for it to be for something to be commercially sex- successful, you have to make sacrifices. I mean, a twenty four started you know producing things that were more along the lines of like hard sci-fi um but like you know with these blockbusters it's it is what it is but it keeps the genre alive and it, it brings you know high quality to something that we love so it's like okay i'm, I'm okay with that um oh i just wanted to say that uh <laughs> the edge of tomorrow i just wanted to say this real quick i know it's a side that was one of those films where I read the book. It was actually a novelization of the manga. I read the book, and I was just like, this would make a great movie. And then I look it up, and I'm like, they're making a movie with Tom Cruise. And like the second time this happened was I read through The Hunger Games, and I was like, this would be an awesome movie. And then I just look it up, and I was like, they're making a movie. So if anybody has a good an book. awesome movie. What? I said, and it wasn't an awesome movie. That's fine, but they made the movie. So if anybody wants a movie made out of a book, just give the book to me so I can read it. All right, I want you to read the book Dune. Dune. It's getting a movie. Yeah. Well, until I fucking watch it, that movie doesn't exist. <laughs> I w- okay, so um, I don't know where we're going with this. I think it's great, 
but I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to talk about the technology. Is that cool if we segue into I would technology? love it if you did because uh, one of the things that I love about this mm -hmm. movie is the technology. Because there's a lot of things it's that you cool. went like, oh, that's dumb when you're like 10 years ago. But now you look at it, you're like, oh, they were very accurate to where we would be <laughs> if that See, I yeah. went the opposite direction that you, you went. I went the opposite direction because there were so many little things that I was just like, well, that's really dumb. Like, um... Like the uh, you know the the newspaper that updates all the time, you know that basically is a video screen. The, you know there you had this guy reading a newspaper, and I was like, who the who would buy who would buy a newspaper when you have your smartphone, and like and like stuff like that, and like um, the fact that the cars had um, engine noises was weird. I was like, wouldn't it all be electric at this point? And then like there was like. Um, what was another thing? Um, wooden balls, wooden ball technology. Who knew that that was coming? Because you can't, you can't duplicate the uh, the grain. But uh, I so probably could. Well, yeah, you can get it, Bill. You got it. You're a carpenter. <laughs> um, no, but so some of the things that um, I thought was amazing with the technology, which I would disagree with you here, is uh, first of all, this wasn't my actual thought. This was um, Matt Bachter, who couldn't be here tonight. But he actually said that, like, the fact that, like, um, Tom Cruise, when he's doing, like, his sleuthing and he's going through the screens, actually has sensors on his fingers. Mm -hmm. It makes a lot more sense to have that to control how a screen is going to move and you're blowing things up and you're moving it to the side than just swiping with the hand, which is kind of like what we see a lot in um, science fiction nowadays where people like, are just, like, like blowing things up. Yeah. Sort of thing. Huh? Yeah. What's that? Oh, yeah. You actually just have con like actual controls. Like that's very VR. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know? a very realistic. I, I think about VR it. controllers and stuff. Yeah. Um, exactly. Another thing is, I, I actually will touch upon like hearing the engine noises. I do not doubt that humanity is actually going to um, synthesize those sounds in vehicles just to make us feel like we still have an engine zooming. Maybe I absolutely yeah. believe that that's going to be a thing as Maybe for engines the... get quieter and quieter. Mm -hmm. uh, there are cars, I think, that currently do that, where they will synthesize Tesla. the sound of the engine. Tesla does that. They do? I thought they were just silent. Yeah, Tesla has... I mean, they are silent, but you can absolutely add in uh, the noises. Gotcha. Yeah. I know... I know uh, um... I know... <clears throat> I know the F-150 Lightning is probably going to have that, because, you know... What's the point of having a truck if it's not real loud? I mean, big dicks like big zoom, but big so. zoom, big dick, big big That's big boom boom. Big you know big, I mean? big big big. Um, okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, oh fuck! I like how they had. I like how they had guns, like pew pew bullet guns, but they also had like uh, like gravity disrupting, like sonic, like boom guns well, that like knock people over. So that's the thing is, I think the they were trying to show that policing was switching towards. Um, using that more sonic weapon, but like the way that it charges up, like you, it's actually like kinetic force that you're building and then you're yeah, releasing it. It was cool. That's amazing. It was, it was I really cool that. and really cool. Yeah. But I just, it's funny that they also had like actual firearms as well. It's just kind of, I mean, one does want like, to be, what, what are you trying to, well, well <laughs> I, I, I thought it was kind of interesting too. If you look at the kind of the era that the film set in, so it's set in 2054, but in this 2054, it's interesting because you have this like very far future sort of like 
high technology, you know, talking about the cars, we're talking about the weaponry we see, we're talking about the whole, you know, pre-crime division and all this type of stuff. But then like the opening of the film, especially when they're kind of in those like row houses in DC or whatever, like it's very like contemporary feeling or like when they're in those, uh, which is another thing I thought that was kind of interesting. It's like, it's almost kind of establishing this world that we're in as not, it kind of goes back to that old trope. Like it's, it's futuristic in a sense, but, you know, certain things are certain things have developed to that point, but a lot of other things are not They're as we would see them today in, you know, 2002 or 2021. Um, so it's kind of interesting. It's like, I think we, we see films or other media where, you know, we've gone completely to that futuristic element where nothing is recognizable anymore. You know, we're in this, we're, we're, we're far enough into the future where everything is kind of, uh, come to that point where it's all, you know, there's no physical screens anymore. We don't have cars, you know, or everything's, you know, downloaded right into our, you know, memories or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like it, it goes that far in the other direction, whereas this is kind of that weird, like, tipping point where I feel like um, you can see a lot of those things and where they have progressed, but then there's also kind of that solid foothold in the modern day as well as far as what our, our tech is and everything else. Um, so, mm-hmm. I love that you brought up the, the year 2054, because two things I wrote down was, huh, 2054, Washington, D.C. is still a federal district instead of being a state, which is a very realistic <laughs> thing. I don't think... I don't think Republicans will ever let D.C. become a state. At the same time, though, in 2054, Radio Shack still exists. Yeah. That is Absolutely. wild. <laughs> and the Gap. And shopping and the in person. Gap. Well, the Gap still exists, right? Because it's it's Old Navy, the Gap, Banana Republic, right? That, Something that, like that. That's right. That but tier, it's also... They, yep. they just took the Gap away from poor people, and it, you just have to go to, like, really nice, bougie cities to find it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also it's in in person retail still exists. That's amazing. Uh, the Gap is fucking pricey. I don't know what you're talking about. That's why I said they fucking took Gap. Gap jeans are like sixty bucks. That's, that's what I'm saying. They took the Gap away. They, it's less accessible now. Mm-hmm. It's only a, it, it's not accessible now. It's not. Yeah, yeah, they got rid of it in the mall. I don't know <laughs> if if we want to stay on the Gap, but um, I just wanted to <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about. The political atmosphere of 2002. Can we talk about that for a second? Because unchanged. Well, if you think about it, because what Minority Report, what the basic idea of pre-crime is that you find evidence that might have not been there to nail down people that might have not committed a crime, which is the same idea as the NSA, how what developed from the NSA in 9/11. So you have this idea of the Patriot Act and and things kind of whoa out of control and people were realizing it and they knew that there was this was a political discussion going on. And so Minority Report was kind of like kind of a projection of that in a way is to Mm -hmm. is to say that, you know, like maybe it wasn't originally intended that way, but you release this in 2002 with that on in your mind of invasive control for our own protection and to save life but we give up you know our freedom the fact that you know i I was going to do something is something that i'm being locked away for and so like you know it's like okay we have a suspicion that you're going to do this because we have very good evidence for this but you still haven't done it and so it's like this sort of idea and this sort of atmosphere is what happened after 9-11 for our own protection in a sort of way 
And we let him yeah. do it. We didn't stop him. Well, <laughs> they warned us there, 20 there years was, ago. There was nothing to stop him with. But uh, th- it's interesting. It really is. And I mean, this is like just brings to my mind, like just the, the simple idea of like privacy. Um, if you look at it, our parents value their privacy. They treasure their privacy. They think that the, this sheer idea that the government is as is invasive as it has been in the last 20 years like angers them it blows their mind and you look at our generation they're not as angry we kind of grew up with that invasion into our privacy we don't mind it as much look at the fucking tiktok that uh, that took hold of our generation and then the next generation it, it took hold of them they don't fucking care they just well, they don't care they're, they're used at this point they're used to that level of invasion to their privacy no that's how it's you do thing. it well, it's like yeah, it's like it's really it's like how you this, do it. It's like a sunk cost. It's like, well, we already got everything anyway. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have nothing to hide. Fuck it, you know. Right. That's like it's just this mentality. And, but it's like this used to anger people. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I have my privacy, and people should not have access to my privacy like that. But it, it's interesting how it all. Well, well it's the idea that it, well, it's the idea. I mean, the the pre crime system that they have there. Um, is clearly shown to be taken advantage of by the wrong person in power. When you have the wrong person in whatever your technology is and whatever the best intention you have, if this if a certain number of events happen in a certain sequence, then that extreme amount of power will flip on its head and can be used to destroy a lot of good things. So it's like, you know, it's like it's, you know, you have this thing that's working right now but if something were to happen, you have the, a nuclear bomb on your hands, basically. You know, you have something that could destroy lives. So I feel like that's what the idea with that is, you know, with, with pre-crime. And, um, and, you know, sort of an idea of invasion of privacy and having systems in place that monitor every single thing you do. Well, it almost kind of reminds me, I know it was a few years later, but of uh, like Dark Knight kind of the, uh, you know, the surveillance state and kind of the things that, uh, you know, I feel like that film was trying to say, um, you know, whether it was effective or not, whatever. But, the, you know, just about kind of going down that path. And then when you open that Pandora's box, what, where do we wind up, you know, um, giving away those freedoms, especially in, in this instance where, you know, it's, as we've said uh, a few times now, um, these crimes haven't even happened yet. You know, but whatever, uh, you know, kind of voodoo that is being manipulated in order to, you know, um, try to determine if, when, how these things are going to happen, you know, that you hold that as kind of the gospel. And then you end up with, you know, a giant prison of, you know, people in the Matrix, more or less, you know. Uh, so I, I don't know, really interesting stuff. But I, I think that's kind of my main point with the movie it was not necessarily to. I don't know to analyze it to no end, but just the fact that um, I felt, especially coming off of 2049, this was uh, kind of, a, I guess, a successful attempt at that sort of headiness. So that was kind of what I really wanted to try to um, to analyze a little bit and talk. And I think we've already pulled out a, a ton of really good things in regards to that. But just like, why did this work or or why and how or, or what, uh, as Bill said, like what... Um, I guess changes had to be made or maybe uh, sacrifices made in order to, you know, get it there. Um, but I don't know. 
All right, gentlemen. Um, I think I want to take us into that point of the night where I say, was this good sci-fi or was this bad sci-fi? Because it, um, it's interesting. It is interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking about that, this question, the entire time I was watching the movie. Um, and I'm on the, I'm really on the fence, but I'm going to let uh, Jason go first. Yeah, so this movie to me is like a uh, what, what's that donut called? Crawler. No, is it a uh, e- e- eclair? Is that what it's called? That is yeah. a donut. Long. That's the donut plate. where it's got the custard on the inside, right? That's mm-hmm. a Boston cream. No, no, but it, a that's, also that's a pie, brother. That ain't a donut. <laughs> Look, I donut want both analogy of them. Right what do you now? want from me? <laughs> donut fights. But, let's go. But no, it's interesting. So uh, I guess I'll, I'll say when when I watch Minority Report, to me, you kind of have that like sweet outside, right? And it's like, you know, it, it's very appealing kind of to the masses uh, because of a lot of the reasons we said, you know, Tom Cruise action, Steven Spielberg, 2002, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But on the inside, you've got that like gooey, delicious, custardy, philosophical, you know, neo-noir film that uh, really i think is the reason we're still talking about the movie 20 years later i think it, it, it was successful at the box office it did well and it served as a vehicle for its cast for its director et cetera, et cetera. but ultimately it was because it ended up being kind of a breezy but also relatively deep exploration of a lot of these themes that it has kind of you know, stayed the test of time here. So I, you know, wish I would have seen it 20 years ago. I wish I didn't wait as long as I did. I think the other movie I did that with, believe it or not, and it wasn't as long, but it was Arrival, which I know we talked about last week as well, where I just kind of was like at the time, ah, no, I'll get get to it, whatever, you know. And then I saw it and I was like, whoa, you know, and it was kind of the same thing with this. Uh, So I would say good sci-fi, really great exploration of the themes. And, you know, I think it was one of the last big hurrahs for Spielberg. Uh, thank you, Jason. Uh, before I send it on to Ben, I just want to say that uh, be glad you watched it when you did, because if you watched it uh, 20 years ago, it would have been lost on you. Honestly, it probably would have been. So just be glad you watched it when you did. I think you value it more than, say, I do. So, uh, Ben. Yeah, it's good. It's good sci-fi. I didn't really have much to say about it uh, and everything that I would think of saying you guys have pretty much said. Um, my big thing is that it's good, but it could have been so much better, uh, had Steven Spielberg not tainted it with his trash. (laughs) So, uh, you know, it it was a good wake up call for me because I had seen the trailer, the teaser for West Side Story and I got really excited about it because I was like, wow, this actually looks incredible. This looks really good and I'm surprised. And this was a good, good grounding for me to remind me that Steven Spielberg hasn't put anything good out in almost 30 years now so uh you know it is what it is <laughs> but okay. this is good sci-fi thank you ben so here we go got two good sci-fis hey, in a row he did k-pax though so i mean <laughs> that's, that's true your, your he didn't even do k-pax <laughs> yeah he did no <laughs> yeah i looked it up i'm looking it at it i i i, I, I navigated okay, away I'm telling you, Steven, he was executive s- producer on k-pax s- okay guys k-pax guys Spielberg. Spielberg directed K-Pax. Can we just move on? Okay. You don't have to say directed. Spielberg made 
K-Pax. Thank Spielberg you. Spielberg is right. K-Pax. Yeah. <laughs> Spielberg. All right. Spielberg. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So uh, as we're long as we're talking about Spielberg, moving on, Bill Jarvis, what did you think? Good sci-fi or bad sci-fi? I think it's good sci-fi. I think it's a good mix of uh, of cool, fascinating ideas about technology and also philosophical ideas thrown with was sort of like undertones or ideas uh maybe if you're reading into it of political ideas while at the same time being really kind of a cool tom cruise action film so yeah i think good sci-fi awesome thank you bill andrew ws miller well i can't uh, vouch for you colin but i think this is gonna get the uh full board uh good sci-fi um, cause I thought it was good. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to it and we really, I think we kind of discussed, uh, about as much as we could, um, in, in the, uh, hour long we have for this show hour long or so, um, you know, we got to touch on the, uh, determinism thing. We've got to, you know, talk about, uh, government overreach, uh, a little bit towards the end there. Um, it's got a lot of that in spades and, you know, it's, it's really, you know, for the most part, well acted. Um, we didn't even touch uh, touch on uh, Max von Sydow that much, and he did a really good job. Um, but I I liked the movie. Um, it's definitely a long one. Um, I mean, yeah, you said it didn't feel long, but <laughs> that you know, you started at nine thirty, you're still going to bed at midnight. <laughs> so good sci-fi. Yeah. Good well, good boy. You, good boy, Tom Cruise. Um, just to touch on your uh, your Max comment. Um, we, yeah, we didn't really cover him. Uh, he definitely was later in the movie. It was like his best work uh, early on. It was kind of just, you know, all about Tom Cruise and what's going on. But, um, so yeah, I do agree with you there. I also will say that, yes, this will get across the board. Uh, this is good sci-fi. I have my complaints because there are things like, I expect it to be a harder sci-fi, I guess, in a certain way where like the, the, they don't really explain the precogs better than, oh, yeah, well, uh, parents did drugs and then they had babies and then the babies had this ability. That's okay. I mean, I dig that, but I do like everything else that the movie is trying to do. The messages, the the, the discussion that I think it's trying to create in a lot of ways. I do appreciate that. Um, so I will say it is good sci-fi. I really do like it. Um, yeah. I mean, it was also fun. It was a fun movie to watch the entire time. I love the science. I love the technology. Aside from the whole like action chase scene that goes on the alleyway and then like goes into the car factory and all that, I could do without that. I think that actually hurts the movie in more ways than it helps, except for financially. Clearly it worked. But uh, yeah, I mean, good sci-fi, good movie. I bought a Lexus today. I went right out to the dealer. Jason Schultz, you really need to get your ass an Alexis. <laughs> I was going to say, I, you know, I, just, I forgot that. I just want to say, apparently, factories in the future have just taken away all safety features. Just all safety features. Also, targeted ads, they fucking predicted the fuck oh, out of that. Oh, and how. That was great. That was amazing. Yeah, and we I didn't even get to, to talk like, about uh, Ben's Bane late stage capitalism. I mean, no, it's, it, it, it has nothing actually interesting to say. In this, it has nothing to say in this movie. It just is like, oh look, things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I also wanted to mention how absolutely garbage that scene in the greenhouse was. It was like, 
Oh, we wrote all this exposition, but we need to find a way to make it interesting. How do we make it interesting? Uh, uh, poison you, Ivy. Like, I don't know. But she's old. Act crazy or something? She wasn't Poison Ivy. She's just, could you act crazy? And she's like, uh. She was a, I could kiss yeah, Tom Cruise I'll kiss him on the lips. No, she was a plant mom. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she was, it, was, it was just garbo. They literally could have made her a crazy cat lady, and it would have made more sense than her being the crazy plant lady. But yeah, it's fine. Hey, you all know I'm the altered. same way with min pins. You come over to my house, and I start talking all weird with you about, you know, my uh how i breed min pins his and... mini pin is literally just like humping your leg and he's talking to you about how awesome they are and, and then like, i just <laughs> grab you and i grab you and kiss you <laughs> yeah that was really that was weird, weird during 2049 when you grabbed all of our faces and kissed us sh- one yeah. by one well i liked it I'm, I'm passionate about it you know yeah all right boys all of our passions um hey just a little housekeeping i don't know if you're if you listen to the podcast but look uh, sending a press release to our email is not going to get us to talk about your podcast. Uh, if you want us to talk about your podcast, you got to pay us. So reach out with a sponsorship request and we will do it. That's all. I don't know what that's about, but I w- I'm looking forward to hearing about it after we cut. It's it's a really interesting uh, request to talk to uh, to tell everyone about a really interesting interview regarding a really interesting sci-fi show. And uh we won't do that unless you pay us. So pay us money. All right. So next week, we're covering Mass Effect. If you guys have not already played the trilogy, don't bother listening next week because fuck it. It's not going to be worth it to you. But if you have already played the trilogy, I think you might enjoy it. Our discussion is going to be great. If you're currently playing the legendary edition, good on you. Awesome job. You don't need it, though. I think we're going to stick to what Mass Effect is and not how the changes have been applied in the latest edition. So, I mean, I'll probably, Hopefully. I'll probably talk about how it's going, but I definitely won't finish the Legendary Edition. Before oh, not, season, at, so. no, not, not at all. But we might, you know, we could mention a few things about it. But I think we're going to basically just stick to what the, the trilogy was and maybe even talk about what the failure of the fourth one was. Who knows? Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, we could talk, but we aren't going to just talk about its failures. <laughs> no, I know. Um, we're, we're, we're talking about Mass Effect in general, so that's coming next week. I hope you guys are ready for it. Uh, but yeah, that's it. Um, Andrew. If you are listening to this episode on the day that it comes out, tomorrow, Colin is a special guest on the uh, beer YouTube show that I do with my friend uh, Aaron. We actually had our first uh, crossover with uh with sci-fi cross sections um we talk about sci-fi stuff we drink some uh some some uh covid themed beers it was kind of our uh <laughs> kind of our kind of a, like a covid slash sci-fi like covid ending slash sci-fi um themed crossover so check that out on uh thirst for adventure on youtube um tomorrow that's friday uh whatever friday the 21st for Colin. And then um at some point Aaron is going to be on uh the show. Yeah, look for look for yeah, him next next month yep. when we actually start covering uh some of the old old films like Terminator 2. Uh-huh. Oh, that's a spoiler. I should have mentioned that. Um All right, folks, that's all we have. I'm glad we covered Minority Report. So until next time, <laughs>